Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Keys Vineyard Community Church. We're very glad that you're with us today. As we continue on in a series we're doing called You Have the Words, or You Have the Words of Life. This series is based on things that Jesus said, and really what I'm, I'm hoping to do is, uh, in this um, series, sort of share with you a devotional tool that I think is really helpful in my own life where I will take a passage of scripture, or in this case something that Jesus has said, and I will just dwell on it for a week. And I will ask God to help me use my holy imagination to really dig into the passage, to think about it from lots of different angles, not just to read it, but really to try and sort of put myself in it. What, what would it have been like to be there, to be, you know, one of the disciples, or some of the crowd, or even the religious leaders, or someone that was intimately involved? What would it have been like to be a part of that process and then I just you know uh, pray that the Spirit of God would illuminate that to me and I, I spend time just dwelling on it and thinking about it and, and so what we're doing in this series is really kind of going through that together and then I'm hoping you'll, you'll do that throughout the week and, and build this into part of your uh, spiritual discipline in uh, spending time with the Lord and so we've looked at a lot of things that Jesus has said already this is our ninth week of doing this Last week we, we looked at um, Jesus as he ministered to a woman who had been caught in adultery and, and I said last week in that process of, we talked about um, the light of life and that as his followers we would be the light of life and we're going to touch on that again some more this week in our, in our passage together as we look at uh, another encounter that Jesus has this time with a man born blind and I just think it's a fascinating look at what's going on in this process. That's the intro. Uh, transition, always a bad joke. This was really bad. So a man walks into a hardware store and he says, hey, I'd like to buy some nails, please. And the person working there says, well, how long do you want them? And he says, well, I, I want to keep them. No? How long do you want them? I told you it was really bad. Okay. The other one I had was worse, believe it or not. Why can't a bike stand on its own? Because it's too tired. See? Right. Scripture reading here on purpose. That's enough of that. John chapter 9, verse 35 and following. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him in fact he is the one speaking with you and then the man said Lord I believe and he worshiped him and blessed be the word of the Lord I want to really concentrate on verse 35 Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said do you believe in the son of man powerful powerful question now the son of man is a messianic title um, some translations that you, you have might say the Son of God but in effect he's, he's asking do you believe in the Messiah and, and it's just a, such a powerful question do you believe it has so many implications and I want to dig into that a little bit today in our time together uh, but, but I want to have some context around that and really chapter 9 gives us the context and of that question as this encounter that Jesus has with this man who was born blind beginning in verse 1 as he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So this is the encounter that takes place. Here's a man who uh, has never seen before. Uh, he encounters Jesus. Jesus ministers to him and the result is that this blind man now sees. And so this is a big deal. A miraculous situation taking place. And so be thinking about that as you go on. You know, we, it's easy to read this and not think about someone who could never see, who had never seen is now seeing because of the impact that Jesus has on his life. And, and so I want to start this whole conversation by uh, point number one is, is talking about cause and effect thinking. Cause and effect thinking. John 9 again verse 1, as he went along he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now the um, established religious community of the day and certainly the, the disciples would have had this thinking as well because it was where they were all at in the process. Um, what they believed was this, that, that those who do right will be rewarded, rewarded and those who did wrong would be punished. And, and so it followed from that formula that any personal disasters were evidence of sin. Um, and conversely, it, prosperity was a sign of God's approval. And, and so you see that throughout the scriptures. You see the disciples wrestle, wrestle with that when, when they encounter rich people and, and Jesus said, no, they got a long way to go. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're rich. God must love them more than anybody else. That is not the case. That's a, this evidence of this cause and effect thinking which causes a lot of problems then and now. And so this is the question, this is the, the thinking that they're going through when they ask Jesus this question about the man's blindness. Um, it has to be somebody's fault. Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? They're looking for somewhere to put the blame on the situation that this man is in. And, and so in order for us to be a people who really let the light of life shine through us that we talked about last week, um, we have to sort of move through this, this cause and effect thinking and we need to be able to think about some of the big hard questions that, that um, are out there that we might have, that other people might have and, and sort of um, make sure that we're thinking about them rightly and not with this whole cause and effect situation. We tend to deal with this cause and effect thing because we're very performance oriented uh, and, and, and so, you know, we, we think, well, good behavior is going to go good and, and, uh, and so, you know, things should be going good in our life and if they're not, then there's a problem and we, we, we want somewhere to place the blame. So, uh, stuck there though, we, we struggle with questions like, well, you know, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? How does a God who claims to be good allow so much evil in the world? Why doesn't he do something about that? Perhaps you've encountered those questions from people, maybe you struggle with them yourselves. And, and, and so this cause and effect thinking is, is so performance oriented um, that, that we get stuck in, you know, if well, I'm basically a good person then I shouldn't have to deal with tragedies and hardships and pain and suffering. And, 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 and see there's, a, there's problems with that thinking that go all over the place. Now uh, if you are in fact trying to live by doing the next right thing um, th then, then, you know, the result of that, that the good things are, are more likely to happen but it is not a, um, a way to move past difficulties happening in your life. Uh, because that kind of life 
is not yet guaranteed. That's our future promise. Um, uh, now, you know, we have a, a full and abundant life, but, but we are still caught in some of the issues that go on around us. Um, and, and the reality is, we live in a fallen world on a broken planet. And things here are not perfect. Um, he's, God's going to restore them back, but they're in process right now. Now, God created everything perfect, but sin entered the world and messed all that up. And that is not God's fault, it's our fault. See, God wanted people to be able to choose to love Him and to worship Him. And so He gave us all free will. And with that free will, every single one of us has chosen to sin, to go our own way, to do it our way, to in effect turn our backs on God at some point and do what we wanted to do. Just like Adam and Eve did, all of us have done that um, ever since. And it's caused a major problem in our relationship with God. Now he's um, been at work from the beginning, from the fall, throughout the, the scriptures and throughout time to set everything right. And in Christ he has, he has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. But until Jesus comes back for the second time, we live in this tension and the world is still broken. The world has fallen. The planet's a mess. And, and, and yet we, we really would rather live um, pain-free. I mean, that's just, that's real, right? Wouldn't, I mean, if you had a shot at... at you, you know, everything being, we'd certainly want that, I think, in our lives. White picket fence lives. Um, and, and with our cause and effect thinking, what happens is we, we really, you know, we want that and we desire that. And we begin to think, well, I'm doing the right thing. Then the right things ought to happen. And when the right things don't happen, we can get trapped very easily into getting angry with God. Like he's not holding up his end of the bargain. And, and, um, and that's not a reality because he has already held up his end of the bargain. We're the ones that have let down and continue to let down um, all the way along. And so we, we get stuck in this thinking. Our motivation for living by doing the next right thing can't be all about immediate rewards and pain-free living. And so um, we, we have to make sure that the reason that we're living by trying to do the next right thing is um, motivated by a love for God because He's already done so much for us. And so the reality is, you know, we pray that prayer, I hope, uh, in the Lord's Prayer all the time, not my will but yours be done. It's one thing to say it and to pray it. It's another thing to really live it out. And so we, we have to be challenging ourselves in this thinking all the time, particularly this performance-oriented cause and effect thinking, where we won't be able to walk in this world being the light of life that we're called to be. Remember, He has done what needed to be done at the cross. He's given us hope. He's given us a future. He's given us, you know, now and forever. Um, but, but until He returns, there are still, you know, things that, that we may have to deal with in the course of our lives. And, and yet, the knowing that what He's done for us and knowing the promises that we have, um, we can begin to move through the difficult circumstances in a, in a, with a whole different sort of perspective and understand that God can then use those um, in our lives to ultimately usually help minister to other people. So, you know, with this thinking in check, you know, the, the answers then to those difficult questions, well, why do bad things happen? Well, because sin entered the world. It's our fault, not God's. It's, it's the issue. Sin entered the world. All of us have sinned. Um, and, and so we struggle with not only consequences of our own sin sometimes, but and then even harder to deal with is when we struggle, you know, when we're impacted by the sins of others, which is really difficult for us. How does a God who claims to be good allow evil in the world? Well, the free will that he gave us can't be suspended. And so, 
you know, people choose to do things they shouldn't and it impacts all of us. Why doesn't he do something about it? He has. He went to the cross. He's already dealt with it. He's dealt with it in a, in a significant way. Um, you know, and it's really the events of Easter that we celebrate leading up to it. It's the cross. He dealt with everything there. He took on the sin of the world. He dealt with it. But until he comes back, um, there's still sort of fallout. But he's coming back. And, and when he does, he sets everything right. And so we're, we're, in, we're in process. We're in this tension of the two things. But we need to make sure that we kind of step out of cause and effect thinking and begin to look at things differently so that we can be the light of life. So let's look at this situation that he runs into um, with the, the man born blind and see what happens. So second point is this. Well, how does the light of life see this situation? How does, how does Jesus look into it and model it for us? John 9, 3 through 5. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. It's not cause and effect thinking. It happened. So the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so uh, he has this encounter with this man. Now, um, you, you know... I, the Apostle John here, because we just had that last sort of um, encounter that Jesus had with the, the woman caught in adultery, and we saw how he ministered to her. Uh, I think the Apostle John, under the anointing of the Spirit, is really driving home this important point, that Jesus, he sees this situation, he sees the man born blind who has been sort of outcast by everybody else, and he ministers to him. He stops and takes time to minister to this man, the, the establishment had sort of pushed him aside and stuck him in the back, but Jesus sees him and ministers to him. And that's what the light of life does. See, it sees people, it loves them, it sees their need, it reaches out to them and it extends the kingdom of God to them in some manner. And that's what the light of life always does and that's the light of life that lives in us. Let's look in the, at, at this third point three, how the light of the law sees it. Remember last week I introduced you to the light of the law and I said in effect that was the darkness of legalism it wasn't light at all it's a false light John 9 13 they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight well, he put mud on my eyes the man replied and I washed and now I see and some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, I hope you see what's going on there. The Pharisees, once again, fail to rejoice with someone who has been miraculously healed. We saw this a few chapters ago at the, the man, if you remember, by the pool of Bethesda, who had been there for 38 years, and he, after his encounter with Jesus, he's healed and restored, and yet because that healing takes place on the Sabbath, the established religious community um, hates it. And, and, and once again, they miss out on the opportunity to rejoice with what God has just done in this man who had never seen before, who is now seeing, to rejoice with him in what took place. All they seem to be caring about is that Jesus has violated the Sabbath. And not only in one uh, way, but in two. See, what happened, and now there's two points. Um, A, he he'd healed on the Sabbath. B, you, get, you know what else he wasn't supposed to do on the Sabbath? Make mud. That was considered work. Now he had violated it two things. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? That, that, I mean, here's, the, here's what you've got to make sure you don't miss. 
There is the light of the world standing in their midst. There's the, the evidence of the light of the world, um, you know, everywhere. And instead of seeing it, all they can see is the silly things that they're stuck in. And they miss it altogether. And that's what the, the light of the law does. It misses so often the movement of God, the mercy and grace of God, the things that are happening around us as God moves into situations. They're so stuck that they're spiritually blind in the process. Now, fourth thing. Well, how does the man born blind see what takes place? And, and so, you know, remember now, here's this guy, um, blind from birth, uh, basically outcast by the established religious community. Um, they had judged him as a sinner. They had offered him no hope. And, and th now they're asking him questions. John 9, verse 10. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, verse 17. Finally, this is the Pharisees, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, well, he's a prophet. Now, verse 24. Here we go again with the Pharisees. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This is a crazy sort of encounter. I mean, here's a guy who's been healed. There's no getting around it. And these guys are arguing with him that the one who prayed for him was a sinner. And so this is where they're stuck. They asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he, how did he open your eyes? And he said, I've already told you, you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth how dare you lecture us and they threw him out <laughs> just threw him out don't lecture us don't tell us we, we can't and, and they don't want to have to keep looking at the evidence of what's taking place so they toss him out nice but here's what's really cool look who finds him John 9.35 Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Don't you love the fact that Jesus heard what had happened and went looking for the guy? Don't you love that? Because he's going to move him through the next little bit of the process. He's encountered Jesus. He's got an idea who he is. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, You know, I am the Messiah. You need, to, you need to make some movement in my direction. He doesn't say that to very many people. Jesus came short of saying that all the time. We saw that happen at the woman in the well. Uh, he makes that statement. He does it again here with, again, look at somebody completely outcast is who he reveals himself to in the process. But, but I hope you see what happens because it's important to this guy on his journey um, and, and you see it happening through those verses I just read. See, he starts out, he's had this encounter, but he doesn't really know and, and when he first sort of goes through the encounter, well, this guy named Jesus, some guy named Jesus, 
That's what he said. And then they sort of pressed him a little further. Well, you know, I can see. So uh, maybe he's a prophet. And they press him a little further. And he goes, well, well, he has to be from God. And then finally, as Jesus ministers to him and reaches out to him, he gets it. He's the Messiah, the one who has come to make everything right again with God. And he gets that, moves into the process. See, what we have to do, and what I get from this as we look at this, is, is that what we need to do through everything is believe in Jesus the son of man the Messiah the one who came to straighten things out for us and know that no matter what circumstances in life we face he is with us and for us and he will see us through till the very end and that knowing that is where we find life and as we walk it that way the light of life can shine through us so we can help others then come to know Jesus as their Messiah and as the one who changes everything Think about that this week. Dwell on that. Think about this encounter, how amazing it must have been to be a part of it all. And I hope it'll just continue to draw you ever closer to the Lord and know His amazing love for you, that He is ever pursuing you and will always pursue you and love you throughout eternity. Pretty cool stuff. But we're going to end it there. Um, If you're watching on the video, thank you. We appreciate you doing that. And uh, we'd love for you to come and visit us. If you need prayer, go to the website. And uh, we'd be happy to pray for you, but uh, we will call it a message right there.